0: And thanks for listening. It's been a bumpy ride so far. What's down the road for Tesla? Climate One conversations with oil companies and environmentalists, Republicans and Democrats, are recorded before a live audience and hosted by Greg Dalton. This is the Tesla Model
2: 3. Uh, all-wheel drive, dual-motor. It's amazing, I've been waiting for it for years. I put my deposit in the day before they even show the car.
0: Despite having last year's top-selling luxury car and a loyal, if not rabid, customer base, Tesla has been facing major challenges. In August, Maverick CEO Elon Musk was slapped with SEC charges over some rather misleading tweets. That cost him and the company millions in fines and forced Musk to step down as chairman. But that's probably not the last we'll hear from him.
3: I don't think Elon Musk is going to back down at all. And I think they'll continue this kind of drama and game until maybe the SEC will double down and try to follow his tweets you know, even more closely and try to catch him on something.
0: Other skid marks for Tesla include production delays, shareholder skittishness, and some well-publicized workplace complaints.
4: Yeah, I don't think it's uh, spilling any secrets to say that it's a difficult place to work. There have been lots of reports about how demanding the big boss can be and how much of a sacrifice people are expected to make.
0: Today on Climate One, we assess the health of Tesla, its overall impact on the auto industry, and its future as a leader in the green economy. Greg Dalton's guests are three writers who have been watching the company closely. Laura Kolodny is a tech reporter for CNBC. Katie Fehrenbacher is a senior writer and analyst with GreenBiz, And Hamish McKenzie is the author of Insane Mode, How Elon Musk's Tesla Sparked an Electric Revolution to End the Age of Oil. He's also a former lead writer at Tesla. Here's their conversation.
1: Um, Laura Klotny, let's talk about the health of the company today. How's Tesla doing? A lot has happened in the last year or so. It's hard to keep up with the headlines. But where are we today in terms of, you know, the pulse of the company?
2: The the health. Okay, I mean, I'm not... um I'm not like the Tesla doctor and I can't completely diagnose (laughs) it. But in the great game of business, there's a scoreboard. And if you look at it like the bean counters do, it's pretty challenged right now. Um, Tesla's been in a kind of cash strapped position for the moment. They had some years where they really spent a lot on, you know, setting up the factory and figuring things out. And then last year, as they were ramping up production of the Model 3, their latest electric sedan, which is potentially their first breakthrough, really mainstream car, not just for the early adopters. um, They they had a few missteps. They over automated Elon's acknowledged like I'm on a first name basis with him. Elon Musk, the CEO, has acknowledged, you know, some errors and and unplanned spending to correct them. And I mean, it's at the moment they just paid down a huge bond obligation, $920 million. They're not spending a lot in in terms of CapEx capital expenditure to uh, set up for the future compared to prior years. So it's going to be a real challenge for them to operate leaner and meaner.
1: Right. So there's a lot going on there. We'll unpack Uh, Katie Ferrenbacher. Do you think that Elon Musk has been tamed by some of the recent, you know, um, experiences with regulators, et cetera?
3: Tamed? No, not at all. (laughs) Um, I mean, (laughs) I think that, um, you know, the SEC has taken this kind of unusual and public step. um, But I don't think Elon Musk is going to back down at all. And I think, they'll continue this kind of drama and game until I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen, but maybe the SEC will double down and try to um, follow his tweets, you know, even more closely and try to catch him on something, you know, later in the month. I'm not not sure.
1: Right. The Securities and Exchange Commission is looking into, uh, you know, it's kind of bizarre that one pretty mild tweet is being uh, uh, scrupulously scrutinized uh, when there's other tweets that (laughs) we see every day that are... uh, (laughs) seem to play by different standards, but um, say the least. Um, but, but Katie, let's talk about the recent moves to, to close stores, and then the company said, "No, oh, no, we're going to only close half of our stores, laying off workers. What is this saying? Is this a company that's kind of getting fit, or is this a company that's a little wobbly?
3: Um, well, I mean, right now it's all about cost-cutting for Tesla, so they've reached this point, kind of miraculously, where they're actually selling the $35,000 Model 3. So they made this point, but It's still... Not an economic proposition for them. I mean, I don't know the margins on the Model 3, the $35,000 Model 3, but they are. Right, hang
1: on. There's an uh, analyst from UBS who said $41,000. This was a story that Laura wrote. $41,000 is break even. So every car that they sell for $35,000, they lose $6,000. That's according to a Wall Street analyst. Anyway,
3: I'm not surprised. I mean, so I mean, what Elon was saying on the Elon Musk was saying on the uh, press call a couple weeks ago is that you know it's a it's a game of pennies. So say if there's um, a thirty-five thousand dollar car, there's ten thousand dollar parts. They're they're at three fifty. They need to get down to three dollars a part, and so they're just cutting costs at, at any point possible. I mean, his his kind of bizarre um, strategy of closing the stores and then reopening the game. I think you know it. It expresses the fact that one he you know is probably pretty concerned about the stock drop number two He does I think listen to customers. So maybe he had a pretty strong feedback Um, And also, you know, they're in kind of a chaos mode right now So he's kind of shifting and trying to figure out what he's gonna do
2: There was another theory about the store closures that um, if you say you're gonna close them and you take away everyone's commission anyone who's not like a branch Elonian will leave their jobs and you get out of having to pay them severance. Mm.
1: Interesting. (laughs) Laura, there's also this whole thing, you know, the the dealers, the stores were such a big part of Tesla because incumbent auto dealers fought them hand to hand combat state by state to not open these stores. And then to suddenly say they're closing them, you know, it just, it seems like such as such a surrender, but you also think that stores are where car companies can make money.
2: I think that for Tesla, the stores are like advertising, you know, it's it's the signage, it's the allure of going in there. Um, I think their education, I think they are sort of the front end that connects the customers to service that's needed. And I feel like, you know, Tesla has always said they don't want to make service like a profit center. They don't want to make money off uh, just keeping your cars in great shape. But if they wanted to, they could. Usually that's how dealers make money, not just on the sale, but on the ongoing service at a point. Um, and I. Well, I wasn't surprised they would make a bold move towards e-commerce only. I was surprised that they would do it so suddenly and also um, kind of reverse course so quickly.
1: Right, because they had put put so much into battling the incumbent industry to open these stores and then to quickly. Um, uh, Hamish McKenzie, tell us about the the tipping point, whether, you know, how much Tesla is affecting other automakers. It was kind of this niche maker for a while in California. You know, is it really, because that's the premise of your book is, you know, moving away from oil and changing the industry. What is the evidence that's happening?
4: Well, Volkswagen for one is putting $50 billion into transforming itself into an electric car company over the next five years. So I think that's pretty compelling evidence that it's happening. Well,
1: they they did a lot of that because they got busted big. time. They got busted.
4: Yeah, Yeah, so um, they uh, are doing what is necessary to survive as an automaker uh, beyond a timeframe of five to 10 years. The other companies should be doing that, but they're not. They have uh, some promised cars coming off the line in the next few years, but it's almost on a token level. Um, The tipping point, I think, well, if we're going to cast our minds forward and look back in history, we'll look at the advent of the Model 3 and see that uh, in the space of a week since the announcement of the Model 3, there are about 400,000 orders for a car, people are lining, up side, outside, lining up outside the stores uh, to p- place pre-orders like people did with iPads and iPhones with, for Apple, and I think at that point, the traditional automakers would have looked up and said, damn.
1: <laughs> yeah, they did, uh, right?
4: And I think also we'll see the, uh, the burst of innovation and movement in China as they uh, aggressively move into electric vehicles, And the slowdown of sales in the um, traditional market in China and the acceleration in the new energy market in China, which has taken place over the last uh, 12 months or so, as a tipping point as well. That's the world's largest uh, auto market. They have the most incentive to move aggressively into clean energy and um, automation and autonomy. And uh, I think China's going to be more important than the United States so uh, th- this is the, like the general area is like this is the tipping point in terms of the market realizing it's going to shift.
1: Laura, you've written about, uh, you know, uh, Tesla getting some big financing for, for Shanghai is, is, is um, a, a project in Shanghai is, is a, I think it's a battery or is it a gigafactory in Shanghai? Yeah. So how's it looking for, for Tesla in China?
2: I feel like Tesla has this brand appeal in China. It's like whatever Louis Vuitton or coach or something. They they are a designer brand, a luxury. They're well known. Um, And again, that that government push for new energy vehicles, which includes hybrids and um, hydrogen and things like that in China. But that's uh, it's. It's a strong wind, you know, for, for Tesla, but uh, it's going to be really challenging. They have this f- they, they raised 500 million for a project that they project will cost around two billion. They've learned a lot about manufacturing in the States, taking over the new me factory out here in the Bay Area, building the Gigafactory factory in Nevada. But that's still a lot leaner than what they had spent in the States. And it's in a market where they don't necessarily have a ready supply chain the same you know, kind of assets as far as like recruiting, networking. But I think um, financiers are, have shown willing to work with them. And, yeah, their prospects look good if they can get that up and running. And it's not just a tent. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> Which is a, a reference to uh, there's now a, a tented assembly line here in, in California. So and that was because there were some, what, some problems with the Model 3 assembly line. Is that right, Laura or Katie?
3: Well, it wasn't um, able to produce the volume of cars at the speed that they wanted. So they
1: partly because it was overly automated.
3: Right. Yeah. So they uh, I mean, basically, Jerome, um, who's now the president, was kind of in charge of building this uh, assembly line in a tent next door to the Fremont factory. Um, And uh, I mean, I heard him talk about it. It, You know, it, it was a lot more linear. So it was like one like line across the building. I haven't been inside, but.
1: And that's the way that auto companies have traditionally been. And, and Laura, you've written a lot, written about how Tesla does everything different—the language they use, the processes they use—they're like anti-Detroit in every way. If Detroit calls something, you know, X, they're, you know, Tesla's going to call it Y, just because.
2: Or Japan, in that case, Japan, right? Yeah. Toyota. They. Um, that's right. I mean, um, they want to own end-to-end, end, the data, the process. Um, you know, they want to make a factory that makes factories. And, you know, in some, in some regards, they've been breakthrough. I think the battery architecture is the main thing. But that said, uh, they do sometimes arrive at the same conclusions as other uh, car companies, and you end up with things like this tent. Um, and you end up with, uh, you know, semi-automated, where you've got labor, you know, manual work. Um, and... That's that's kind of interesting. It's like uh, at a certain point, Silicon Valley has to appreciate Detroit and Texas, the predecessors like art history. You know, I mean, uh, nobody stands alone. We're all on the shoulders of giants, even if um, we have some new environmentally better ideas. There's yeah,
1: there tends to be a bit of an attitude that Detroit and maybe Houston are are stupid. Why are they doing things a certain way? And it's easy to make. 50,000 cars one way. Uh, but Katie Fehrenbacher, it's a whole different deal to make a million cars, right? Scaling is something with metal, not just chips or, or code. Scaling yep. is something that Det- the people in Detroit who've been doing it for 100 years, they know that that's hard. And Silicon Valley, sometimes there's an arrogance about that.
3: Yeah, and, and Silicon Valley has had this issue kind of aclo- across clean tech, across all energy factors where you know a lot of the investors from the internet age who wanted to get into green tech investing, they um, were pretty arrogant about it and then invested a lot of money that actually uh, was wasted and didn't produce a lot of new innovation.
1: It's hard to do steel and concrete more than, uh, more than code. I want to get back to the you know, Tesla customers. We went to a new supercharging station near Oakland, California, to find out what Tesla owners think of the car, the company, and the phenomenon.
4: My name is Corey Albertson, and I bought this car in August of last year. My mind wasn't capable of conceiving this piece of technology until I just actually experienced it. Like, going down the highway and watching the car drive itself, that was something where I had to program my consciousness to be able to handle, because it it was something from the future. I, I try to stay away from, like, celebrating the material world too much, though. So, I really enjoy it, but I try not to let it define me too much.
3: My name is Byron.
2: I live here in Oakland. This is the Tesla Model 3, uh, all-wheel drive, dual motor. It's amazing, I've been been waiting for it for years. I put my deposit in the the day before they even showed the car. I think I was like,
1: maybe 29 in line in the Fremont factory. I support the company, I support Elon, what he's doing, with SpaceX, with his boring company. It's, It's all exciting stuff, you
2: know, he's moving the needle.
1: My name is Austin Deliberto, I live in Oakland, California. I'm a huge fan. I I did own stock, I I sold it recently, because it just kept going up up and down, up and down, and they've had a hard time right now. I think it's mostly media-driven, but still they are having some issues now that I think they can work through, but the media sure doesn't help. voices of Tesla owners at a charging station near Alameda, California. And just to be clear, we always try to include diverse voices, but we, a couple hours that our producer was out there at that Tesla charging station, uh, there were all dudes uh, charging their <laughs> Tesla um, on that day. Um, so, Laura Kladny, let's have your feedback on that. The volatility of the stock, we have an owner who says they, don't, they worship their Tesla but don't like to uh, worship material, <laughs> material things. Um, your take on the, on the shareholders and the owner.
2: Part of the Tesla experience is this camaraderie. It's in-house. I hear it even from employees after they're fired. Um, I, you know, there's a camaraderie. There's a sense of belief in the mission that it's an honest mission. Um, And, you know, what isn't better? I mean, you can, you can buy your way out of climate change by getting yourself a luxury car and driving fast. That's wonderful. Who wouldn't want to take part in that? And um, I don't know that the customers necessarily um, are evaluating the company with the same meticulousness and, um, you know, possibly obnoxiousness as the bean counters, you know, the investors, whether they're short, short sellers or long. Um, when I talk to investors that that have a long view on the company, um, they say Tesla is a front runner in EVs, and the EV trend is. Going nowhere but up, right? Like the industry research I've heard from different firms, including IHS and others. I think IHS. Fact check me on that. Um, is that you know EVs or at least new energy vehicles will comprise like 20% of the market inside of five years, even sooner than that. And the auto market is huge. So that's it, it may not sound that big, like 20%, but it's actually quite a lot of growth. I think we're somewhere around 5%. Anyway, this this finance stuff is less interesting than sexy cars and uh, Solving well, I want to make change. a point on
3: the customers. <laughs> I mean, I think Tesla should be very appreciative of their customers. Like they have been, especially the early ones, those people, uh, you know, have been supporting Tesla even through the early days when a lot of the cars had problems, like early builds of the cars would come out with software problems, door handle problems, mm-hmm. all these things. And the Tesla customers have been so loyal to that company. Very patient, yeah
1: and is that because of the, the 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 design, the beauty, the elegance, the mission, or some combination of all that, Katie.
3: Um, A combination. I mean, it's definitely a mission driven company. So, you know, Elon and the mission inspires people, but then it is such a kind of whiz bang technology company as well. So, you know, the same things that have inspired love of Apple and Steve Jobs are the same things that um, this, this whole like showmanship and um, very sexy reveals. I think, I think that it keeps people's interests and keeps them, keeps them going.
4: Uh, I think that they, they're their brand and their appeal and their sexiness is carried by their believers, and they have got a lot of believers. There are a lot of doubters, and you can read into Tesla whatever story you want to read. Uh, but it does also help that they make good cars. The cars are a thrill to ride, and if you've driven one, it sucks to go back to an internal combustion engine <laughs> car. So, um, or a hybrid. <laughs> if, if they didn't have good cars and they didn't have technology that everyone can believe in, then it would be for naught. So I think they deserve credit on that front.
1: Hamish, hey, you write about the first time in 2016 you got into a Model X for the first time and your friend was put on autopilot. So uh, tell us how that was like to, uh, as a, you know, have a machine driving down the road for the first time.
4: Yeah, I'm still not comfortable whenever I'm in a car that has autopilot turned on. Um, <laughs> but it took a little bit of time to adjust to the idea that he's going to take his hands off the wheels. Actually, I don't trust, trust this guy driving anyway. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, yeah, the car changes. He, he flicks the, uh, the, the blinker, and the car will change lanes by itself. That's an unnerving feeling. Um, you see all these exits coming up, these lane changes coming up, cars beside you. And uh, when the car actually drives at a speed that it has decided is going to be its constant, then uh, it's hard to just give yourself over to that feeling. Um, but... After the, the, the initial uneasiness passes, uh, it, it starts to become a little bit of a background thing and you start talking and carrying on your day as if everything's normal. And it's a little bit disconcerting on that end as well that you can so quickly just sacrifice control to this machine.
1: Right. Laura is, is Kladni, is Tesla leading to the future of autonomous vehicles? Are they sort of where the industry's going on this or, or not?
2: They're distinct in their approach. I'm not sure they're the direction the industry is going. They have um, passed up, you know, LIDAR as a sensor they think is necessary, which that's it's a laser based sensor. It sort of shoots out these lasers and and senses from the time the light comes back, how far away objects are kind of creates a 3D map. Um, That's a gross oversimplification. But I mean, they're they're not using LIDAR and everybody else is and they're not. Pretty much. And they're also, you know, when you you mentioned your friend drives hands off the wheel. (laughs) You're not supposed to do that when you (laughs) see the autopilot updates to get them, you know, in your in vehicle app. You have to acknowledge you're not going to do that. And Elon Musk did it in an interview with Gil King on CBS. And, you know, it's it's somewhat disconcerting that they talk about it as full self-driving when. It's not quite what I think the, the general public believes is full self-driving. It's glorified
1: cruise control.
2: Well, I mean, that might be too minimizing, but yeah, okay. I mean, it is, it's, it's an advanced driver assistive system, right? Um, I don't know if that's the path others will take. I am uh, impressed with their developers in a sense, but I, it, it doesn't seem like um, others are taking a related approach or, or uh, inclined to follow Tesla's lead on that.
1: Because I used to think that Tesla had these cars on the road, so they must be ahead because they have it's all artificial intelligence. is all about the data. They have lots of miles. Um, but but Katie Fehrenbacher, maybe that that's not the case. There's others Waymo, others who are who are you know, ahead of Tesla on this.
3: Yeah, I mean, like you said, Waymo, uh, GM's crews are investing uh, heavily in full, full self-driving. But to Laura's point, I mean, I think it's very irresponsible of Tesla to even name it autopilot and kind of give this impression that people should be, you know, have this full self-driving capability. When kind of like, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, actually keep your hands on. But, you know, it seems like clearly lots of customers are not doing that.
1: Hey, Ms. McKenzie, um, if Tesla's leading a move toward electrification, what are the oil companies um, doing about this? Are they opposing Tesla? Do they even feel threatened by it? Are they trying to put tax in the road? Uh,
4: Yeah. Um, No, they're very happy and they want to help Tesla succeed and they're every day in the press singing their praises. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I think they feel very threatened and uh, any dip in demand for oil is going to hurt their business and it's pretty evident that a big dip in demand is coming. There are already, uh, there have always already been, uh, oil crises, uh, through more minor dips than, uh, what would happen if electric cars came online in a major way. Uh, so there has been opposition. The, the Koch brothers are, pre- are pretty active at funding disinformation campaigns, uh, against Tesla and Elon Musk in particular, or, or just to cover myself completely, uh, Mysterious outfits with uh, innocuous seeming names fund campaigns that attempt to discredit Elon Musk and uh, Tesla in a way that is similar to uh, campaigns that have been proven to be funded by the Koch brothers in the past uh, and so you see uh, you see websites appear uh, saying uh, that Elon Musk is uh, the great American swindler story where it starts off with a video that calls him a foreign-born billionaire <laughs> uh, and playboy who likes to party with uh, Hollywood celebrities. Uh, there's, an, there's a website also that was set up and funded by one of these groups that was called Stop Elon from Failing Again. I think the, uh, the oil companies have been involved with like, lobby groups that have uh, funded efforts trying to slow down the transition to electric cars in the past, even pre-Tesla. Uh, it's not in the interests for electric cars to become popular it's not it's it's not uh, they are doing what is in the interest of their shareholders by doing everything they can to slow down the transition uh that's that's how capitalism works
1: for just joining us, we're talking about Tesla and the switch to electrical and clean energy with Katie Fehrenbacher, senior writer and analyst at Greenbiz, Laura Clodney, reporter for CNBC, and Hamish McKenzie, former Tesla writer and now author of Insane Mode, How Elon Musk's Tesla Sparked an Electric Revolution to End the Age of Oil. I'm Greg Dalton. Laura Clodney, you also see some people on the other side. There are Tesla Zealots who attack reporters who dare question the company.
2: Yes. I mean, (laughs) it's daily. I actually feel like I'm doing my best work in a week where I'm getting accused of being in the pocket of Tesla at the same time as I'm being told I'm unreasonably harsh. Sometimes when you're impartial about a company's growing pains and you're you're doing reporting by the numbers, um, that's the breaks. But there are uh, there's no question a huge amount of Tesla zealotry out there. Like I said, who wouldn't want to be part of this appealing movement led by an iconoclastic kind of cowboy CEO who's this incredible vision for the future and gives a great just a bang on presentation hosts Jack White concerts for his employees I mean it's a fun movement to be part of it's totally understandable that people are super fans especially if they have the driving experience whether through owning leasing or you know just trying it out on Turo um, we also are you know looking for reasons to hope about the environmental future so it's understandable but it is kind of uh, it's a funny facet of reporting on Tesla. Katie Ferenbrocker,
1: as a business leader in climate world, uh, you know, Elon Musk joined President Trump's business council for as long as that existed. How effective is Musk himself? in is he so far out there that it's not someone that, that other corporate leaders can follow because he's so enigmatic and so, you know, unique?
3: No, I think that you know, over the past year or two, specifically last year, you know, Musk has had a lot of these kind of public dramas on Twitter, but yeah. he has, you know, several decades of, you know, uh, an impressive business career with uh, PayPal and um, mm-hmm. SpaceX and, you know, now Tesla. So and well, SolarCity, we know what happened to that company. But um, so I think that, you know, he has this kind of impressive resume, so he he is able to bring business leaders to the table. I don't think he's necessarily tainted or like too dramatic just yet.
1: We're going to go to our lightning round and ask our our guests to respond to, uh, I'll mention a noun and just get their immediate response of what comes to their mind with no filter and complete um, irresponsibility. Um, (laughs) So uh, Laura Kladni, what comes to mind first when I mention Tesla's model Y
2: latest and greatest
1: Hamish McKenzie, Tesla's lawyers, Belligerent. <laughs> uh, Laura Kladni, Tesla's autopilot. Um, learner's permit. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, Hamish McKenzie, Tesla's stance toward labor unions. Complicated. Laura Kladni, the Green New Deal. To be continued. Uh, true or false, Laura Claudney, Uh Tesla employees say Elon Musk is a hands-off manager who empowers his employees and respects their expertise.
2: They would say that in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's false.
1: <laughs> uh, Hamish McKenzie, true or false, every car in the world contains a mission control technology that can be traced to clean air protections in California.
4: If not every car in the world, then a lot of them.
1: Last one, true or false, Katie Fehrenbacher, you'd love to get high with Elon Musk.
3: <laughs> false. <laughs> I would not. <laughs> Let's give them a what? round of applause for getting through the okay. lightning round. The story.
1: <laughs> Kitty Ferentz. There's a lot of uh, car companies out there. It's hard to keep track with all the new ones. I was riding my bicycle home yesterday, and I went. By a Fisker. Remember Fisker? <laughs> Fisker oh. was a no uh, compromise car, beautifully designed by uh, you know veteran of the auto industry. I think they made exactly 16 cars and uh, two
3: thousand.
1: Two thousand. Okay, two thousand. <laughs> um, but now there is Faraday Futures. There's Rivian, which Amazon um, invested in, and also the, maybe perhaps the new sexy one is Neo from China. So what's the competitive landscape of these new kind of Tesla wannabes?
3: um i think that there are going to be other independent electric car makers that are successful i think tesla has kind of paved the path for them i think it's very interesting that a lot of these companies are coming out of china um so neo originally funded by um chinese uh, billionaire um i think that there will be a lot of um Companies that do fail, though, like Fisker did, Um, you know, Fisker and Tesla at one point were kind of in the same stratosphere. Um, And but I think that, you know, just in China alone, there's I think I read something there was like 300 electric car, independent car companies that had been created. So that's going to have to that will be cut down dramatically over the next five years.
1: Yeah. Laura Kladni, how do you see the the competitive landscape here? You know, Tesla versus these other kind of, you know, now that it's so successful, it sparked lots of uh, limitation.
2: I think some of these Chinese companies have a shot to become exporters in a in a really serious way, especially you brought up Warren Buffett. He has uh, an investment in, I believe, BYD Mm -hmm. and also SAIC. They're making a lot of electric vehicles and selling a lot of them in China. Um, I think some of the uh, traditional automakers, they they face an existential crisis if they can't figure it out. Let's let's hope they do. Um, They they need to have an offering Um, and You know, I think an unsung hero in this sort of like new energy vehicles is Toyota Prius. I know it's a hybrid and so sort of extended um, the, you know, reliance on oil and gas. Right. In a sense. But um, this made people comfortable with, you know, uh, issues like range anxiety. And I'm really curious to see what's the next stage for Toyota.
1: A lot of it's really about the intellectual property, right? Toyota was synonymous with hybrid. So they're just trying to milk as much as they can from that hybrid. They own that hybrid space, right? There's very few other real hybrids. Now, you know, there's sort of, there's a battery electrics, Toyota, perhaps there's
3: the Hy- in Prius, Hy- yeah, yeah, which yeah. is
1: what she's talking about. But then there's you know hydrogen. You know Toyota, maybe Honda have the only hydrogen cars that you can you, on the market. You can go and, b- and buy one today. Mm-hmm. Um, Amish McKenzie, you you look at this also in your, in your book in terms of the competitive landscape. China, how do you see that playing out in terms of you know other companies rising to Tesla or or how do you see that shaking out?
4: Yeah, well, most startups fail. It's even harder to start a car company. Uh, in the U.S. in particular, it's hard to start a car company. Tesla is the only one since Chrysler in 1925 that has succeeded. It's even more ridiculous to start an electric car company, changing people's behaviors and then introducing a completely new technology. But the time is right for it, and uh, Tesla has laid the, laid the way for the others, uh, It has shown that it's possible and that there is demand for these kinds of cars. Uh, in China, I expect there will be a couple who, who get by, um, Bighton is a really interesting one, led by Carsten Breitfeld, who was the head of the i8 and i3 program at BMW. Got serious money behind them. Neo is another one that's uh, they're already public and making cars and put cars on the road. Uh, that's really uh, quite an achievement. Uh, and also they, they mix uh, industry talent uh, from auto and technology and seem to be doing that relatively well. Uh, I think a lot of these Chinese companies... Oh, trying to mix Chinese culture and American culture, that's really difficult. Uh, so that will probably be a hard barrier for them to overcome. But uh, just from the sheer weight of uh, economic forces and uh, the need to shift away from a carbon-based economy to clean energy, it, by necessity, there have to be some winners. Uh, I am encouraged by Rivian. I, I don't know much about them except seeing their product demo on the website. The, the vehicle sounds awesome, the Pickup truck, and it is a pretty encouraging sign that Amazon put $700 million into them. So, uh, without any particular inside knowledge, I see them as hopeful.
1: Katie Feerenbacher, one of the measures of a, um, uh, a successful company in Silicon Valley is, is it spawns executives that then go and start other companies and lead other companies. There's a few of those I've seen like, uh, uh electronic electric motorcycle company, ex Tesla person, you know, has Tesla, cause so many of the executives have lost their jobs or left. Um, have, have they spawned other startups that starting that kind of ecosystem that you see coming yes. out of PayPal or Google?
3: Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure it's the extent of Google or PayPal sure. just yet, <laughs> yeah. but, um, yes i've seen a lot of um tesla execs leave and and start energy storage companies um start um, like you said electric motorcycle companies there i think it's um because people, the kind of people who join Tesla are these people who are mission-driven and who are inspired to do something in energy or electric vehicles. So it, they tend to stay in that sector and kind of go out and start their own thing. But how about,
1: uh, Laura Cloudy, what it's like to actually work inside Tesla? There have been some reports about the, the stress and pressure to meet these insane you know, production uh, targets, keeping the unions out. What's it like on the inside?
2: I'm looking to Hamish because I (laughs) never worked there. I've interviewed dozens and dozens of people that have worked there in recent years or still work there now. And I like I said earlier in this discussion, there's a lot of camaraderie. A lot. The mission keeps people going through, you know, reduction in whatever items were at the commissary. We switched from Coke to Jones soda. Ah, um, You know, now you got to go to like a vending machine for uniform instead of just having them, you know, The the supplies freely available, whatever the tiny stresses of your day, the long hours, the Hey, you have to use your PTO because we're closing the factory today. All that stuff that's so stressful. I mean, I still think a majority of the workers there are like they bleed Tesla or they leave Tesla. There's maybe I'm totally guessing this is not from a formal survey, but I'm guessing it's a 75-25 split, you know, as far as I, I jokingly call them branch but, you know, really people who are feeling it, the mission um, and can get through the work even even when it's tough um, versus the people who are feeling, you know, Critical and like uh, just it's you know, it's a job, but they're not sure they want to stay for a life. Hey, McKenzie,
4: yeah, I don't think it's uh, spilling any secrets to say that it's a difficult place to work. There have been lots of reports about how demanding the big boss can be, and how demanding the circumstances can be, and how much of a sacrifice people are expected to make. Uh, if you look at the news reports alone, you can see how much attrition there has been among the the top, top talent. Um, And others have gone off and filed lawsuits against the company, uh, uh, some to do with working conditions, some to do with discrimination. Uh, It's not for the faint-hearted. And uh, I think Musk has tried to put a bit of a a public relations spin on what it's like to work there and saying that Tesla only recruits special forces, Mm kind of like lionizing this uh, miserable sacrifice that many people have to make. And yeah, it can be a difficult and demanding place. And without that greater sense of mission, I think people would lose more patience more quickly.
3: And at Within the same the- time, he, oh, he, Elon Musk is the one who's also sacrificing so much of, you know, I mean, he's obviously making a lot of money too, but sacrificing all of his time and, you know, having these kind of public nervous breakdowns and interviews and, and things like that. So, I mean, he's kind of leading his employees by example.
1: Right. And if uh, if you listen, though, um, you know, so what I'm hearing is he's he's trying to go so fast, perhaps inhumanly fast. But um, if you listen to climate scientists, that's kind of what they say we need to do. The transformation he's trying to pull off. We need to decarbonize the economy in 12 years or else there's some really dark things going to happen. So what he's trying to do and perhaps sacrificing himself and other people is an example of the kind of the speed and scale of the transformation that scientists say we need to do, or else.
4: I kind of liken it to the uh, pyramids. Like back in the day, whoever's leading the Egyptians and telling them to build those pyramids, a lot of people suffered and sacrificed in building those things. But it's a really good thing that we have them now.
2: <laughs> I don't know if you want to make that analogy.
4: <laughs> to the- I won't make it publicly. <laughs>
1: We're talking about Tesla and its transformation of the auto industry with Laura Clodney, reporter with CNBC, Hamish McKenzie, author of Insane Mode, a new book about Tesla, and Katie Fehrenbacher, senior writer and analyst with Green Biz. Let's go to audience questions. Welcome to Climate One.
4: Hi, my name is Richard Price. Uh, do you think the, ultimately the, the leading car manufacturer
1: will be the, the company that has the best self-driving software? Katie Fehrenbacher?
3: No, I don't think so. I think... Um I think the leading automakers will be th- the ones that have the the best marketing and best brand. Um, I think that eventually they'll reach a point where uh, a lot of the car companies will be using the same commodity software and technology.
1: Next question. Welcome. My
0: um, name is Phil Keys. Uh, with the, all the uh, cost cutting, what do you think the future of the charging networks going to be? Do you think they'll be able to continue the investment?
1: Laura Cladney, you think that they ought to squeeze more profits out of that?
2: Oh, um. I am saying they have recently changed pricing, which means they might be able to squeeze some profits out of the charging infrastructure. I think their charging infrastructure is underrated. Um, they sold batteries recently to Electrify America for their charging stations, which is interesting. And I mean, Elon Musk has is that said the
1: VW effort.
2: Yeah. Okay. And, and Elon Musk has said that. Um, You know, if other automakers wanted to somehow do a deal, they they might, like maybe, I mean, you know, he's open to a lot of possibilities, but they might maybe someday be able to power other cars As far as the cost-cutting, it feels like another near-death moment for the company. Like, they really bet everything on the Model 3 being mainstream successful, and it's going to take a lot of sweat to make that happen. And the China play is also another really big bet, so who knows? But um, obviously, everyone's rooting for, like, a, a hometown team you know a big US employer especially here in the Bay Area and with all these great fantastical ideas
1: the key to EVs for the sense that I remember them first coming on around 2011 has been that declining cost curve of the batteries and the gigafactory was supposed to drive that down is the problem that battery prices are not dropping fast enough for the Model 3 to be in these other cars Chevy is also losing money Potentially on, on the Chevy Bolt. Right. So yeah. is the problem that battery prices aren't dropping fast enough?
3: I mean, that's definitely part of it. They're dropping quickly and they're going to be, you know, Bloomberg New Energy Finance was saying, I think it was 2024 when EVs are going to be on par with internal combustion vehicles? Uh, Purchase price. Purchase price. Um, so, you know, it's the dropping cost of the lithium ion battery that's doing that. But, um, but Tesla has actually been pushing the cost of the lithium ion battery down where other automakers are are riding the cost curve and (laughs) Tesla is actually trying all these different things, building the gigafactory at scale, or even they're even investigating in internal chemistry of the lithium ion battery to reduce the cost of it. So, um, so yeah, it's not, it's not cheap enough yet for them to be making money.
1: So the question is whether Tesla can hold on for those four years until that crossover point or that price parity happens at the dealer floor. Let's go to our next question.
4: Uh, hi, Alex Alberts. Um, I just uh, got a question you briefly touched on before. It's about um, actually the efficiency of batteries and what it means for, for the climate change. We've got uh, combustion engine cars uh, driving 200,000 kilometers. We've got actually the same carbon footprint as an electric car being produced today. So... Um, what is done to actually bring the carbon footprint down that actually electric cars still have at the moment. I mean, uh, uh, we're talking about uh, the rare earth products being put into the batteries. Another problem will be the disassembly of batteries when the cars are actually being put off the street. So this is a problem nobody actually talks about today and which I think is a topic we have to be talking about if electric or electrification will go on at the same speed that we're talking about today.
1: We'd like to tackle that, hey, Mitch McKenzie.
4: Yeah, the carbon footprint question depends on which study you want to trust. There are some uh, highly efficient gasoline vehicles that may compete with uh, electric cars on total carbon footprint when you, you take everything in consideration sort of for what it takes to get the oil out of the ground to making the car and then running the car, and the same with production of the battery pack to driving the car and powering the car from some elect- electricity source. Um, But uh, the best studies I've seen show that even the dirtiest electric cars are cleaner than even the most efficient gasoline cars. And that gap is only going to get wider as the electric grid in general cleans up. Coal stations are shutting down. uh, wind, Wind and solar are coming online at a greater rate and will be an increasing size of the electric grid over time. It's undeniable that electric cars have environmental effects to get, they, they have a carbon footprint, it costs a lot to make them environmentally, not as much as gasoline cars. On the battery side, a lot of people express fear and alarm about what's going to happen to the batteries at the end of their life, uh, but batteries can be recycled and reused, and one instance of them being reused is energy storage. Tesla has committed to uh, doing recycling of all of, all the batteries it goes through, Um, and I expect the other car companies will do the same because that's the best economic decision as well as the best environmental decision.
2: They committed to it, but they don't have a recycling program yet, right?
4: Well, uh, I don't know, and um, a lot of of the batteries are still in use because electric cars are still relatively new.
1: Let's go to our next question. Welcome. Hi, I'm Jeff Bloom. I'm a retired Laura semi-bean counter, so... We don't want to be disparaging in our comments, but um, <laughs> I want to ask about the other Elon Musk company in SpaceX. It's SpaceX, which is, again, a life-changing, world-changing company, you don't see the drama, you don't see the missteps, you don't see the stumbles that we have at Tesla. What, what separates the two? Why do you see that at one, Tesla, at one Musk company and not the other? It's
2: Elon Musk's baby. It was the company he started himself. No Martin and Mark to get out of the way. Um, it's Also, he has a tremendous partner in Gwen Shotwell and her leadership. I don't know. Uh, it's ad- a
4: private company, so they can more easily hide their stumbles.
2: There's, <laughs> there's also that. And they're also making, you know, okay, yes, reusable rockets, but you don't have to make 500,000 of those a year to serve the entire
3: space market. So it's a really
2: different kind of Production.
3: They also have a lot of government contracts, so they probably need to keep their, dot their I's and cross their T's a little closer for that.
1: Yeah, they might have some yeah, padding they can put in there, too, because they're competing against basically government monopoly. Let's go to our next question. Welcome. Hi, I'm Daniel Fernandez. Uh, I have a question about the Tesla network or the plan for our autonomous taxi network. Could you talk about implications for either the stock price or
4: implications for the climate and our environment?
1: Uber and Lyft, autonomous taxis, who'd like to tackle that?
4: If they can do it, it would be great. If if there are such things as autonomous taxis that can be used in many situations, then there have been researchers showing that shared use of autonomous vehicles can have, uh, autonomous electric vehicles can uh, reduce emissions by 90% over a certain fleet size. size. Uh, There was a study out of Berkeley that did that. Uh, I think Tesla's a long way from, and actually every company is a long way from being in the position to have fully autonomous taxis, although there will be autonomous taxis in sort of certain controlled environments, uh, perhaps in China, I think, and where there are cities that are springing up out of nowhere, essentially, and building up cordoned off areas specifically for autonomous driving and testing autonomous driving, we'll see a lot of that. I think there's a a little trial program going on in Singapore uh, with an autonomous taxi program, but... Um, I think it's a long way off. I'm not sure what you guys think.
2: I also think it's a long way off, a very long way off, not just because of the technological feasibility of having an entire network of these things going around, but also uh, things to be figured out like insurance and liabilities, um, local law, federal law. It's just uh, unfortunately distant, I think.
1: Katie Fernbacher, you think that that's kind of gone through the hype, what you call the hype cycle, right? Mm -hmm. Sort of that, oh, it's it's here, it's coming, and maybe not so much.
3: Well, I mean, I think uh, that autonomous vehicle technology has gone through this hype cycle where, where, you know, all these investors have flooded in and all these different companies like Uber have been investing in this technology and then kind of reality is setting in where actually maybe it's, you know, a little farther away than we think and it's not kind of delivering these very near wins um in the short term but um but I think you know Waymo is is running a commercial um service in Phoenix so you know the technology is 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 starting to show something
1: Welcome to Climate One. Hi I'm Steven Solomon. Uh, what sort of threat do the traditional
4: autom- automakers pose to Tesla I'm hearing about multiple new electric models coming out in the next few years? I don't think they pose a great threat. In fact, if they invest more in electric cars and putting more electric cars on the market and therefore raise the awareness of electric cars, that's a great thing for Tesla. Um, but in general, I don't see them moving aggressively enough to transition to this new technology that the entire business is going to be based on in, a, in the next, let's be conservative, in, say, 10 to 20 years. And they are going to have trouble making the, the necessary painful transition because... Their entire business model is based on a competing technology, the internal combustion engine. They've built up supply networks, factories, processes, partnerships, relationships, knowledge, all based on this technology that will pretty quickly become obsolete if electric cars continue on the path that they're showing promise to.
0: Greg Dalton has been talking about Tesla's wild ride with Katie Fehrenbacher, a senior writer and analyst with GreenBiz, CNBC tech reporter Laura Kolodny, and Hamish McKenzie, author of Insane Mode, How Elon Musk's Tesla Sparked an Electric Revolution to End the Age of Oil. To hear all our Climate One conversations, subscribe to our podcast at our website, climateone.org, where you'll also find photos, video clips, and more. And join us next time for another conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment.
1: Climate One is a special project of the Commonwealth Club of California. Kelly Pennington directs our audience engagement. Tyler Reed is our producer. Sarah Catherine Coxon is the strategy and content manager. The audio engineers are Mark Kirshner and Justin Norton. Annie Chelsea and Devin Strolovich edit the show. The Commonwealth Club CEO is Dr. Gloria Duffy. I'm Greg Dalton. Climate One is presented in association with KQED Public Radio.